0: Welcome to Voices from the Dales with me, Andrew Fagg. This and the next five episodes have been made possible by Wild Ingleborough, a nature recovery project in the Ingleborough area of North Yorkshire. I'm sat on a clint, a piece of limestone, and we've got our legs in the grikes. We're at Colt Park, the home of Natural England. Now, I must introduce Anna. Uh, Well, will you introduce yourself?
1: I'm Anna Greenwood. I'm an oral historian, and I've been working on a project called Our Ingleborough.
0: Well, let's cut to the material, and we're going to start by introducing you to John Dawson, a farmer who has his land just on the other side of Parkfell, well, a bit further over isn't it beyond Ingleborough as well, but not too far from here. How did you come across John Dawson?
1: John Dawson? I knew his brother Stephen Dawson. When I did a project here a few years ago, Stephen Dawson, who is a local vicar, put me in touch with a lot of people. And um, as John Dawson said, he was called to serve, and he did. He served very well. He brought in a lot of uh, contacts for me. And so when I came to doing this project, I asked if he would put me in touch with his brother John, and that's how we met. John, you were born 1968. I was. The middle of nine children, a busy household... You grew up here on Bleakbank Farm, surrounded by this landscape.
2: Being on a farm, there was always stuff to do. There was always work. There was always either lambing time, you know, you come home from school, you get involved in the lambing time, you know, go for the cows for milking time in summer, clean the cows out, do this, do that. So we were brought up with a work ethic, really. Just don't wait to be told to do something, do it. And we were pretty good at that. We always knew where home was, we always knew where the food was, and we always knew that if any of our friends turned up, they were welcome as well. It made no difference to mum and dad if there was seven or eight around the table or 15. It was just sort of fun, really, but discipline was severe and often abrupt from my dad particularly. Obviously, he had had to keep a firm hand, otherwise we would take advantage.
1: Yes, there's a lot of you.
2: Yes, but we always knew what was expected of us. Uh, and we always thought, of knew if we fell below those standards as well.
0: Anna, you asked about tupping time, didn't you? And, yes. And, and what was that great description he gave you of rattling?
1: Rattling, yes. Well, I know that when when tupping time comes, when the tops find the ladies um, and the ladies get multicoloured bottoms, I was trying to explain to someone what that meant, so I was asking John if he could have a Farmer John Dictionary and talk about some of these words. And so he talked about rattling and the use of the crayon that they put on the belly of the tup so that when he serves a yow, then you get the colour on her back. So you can see she's been served.
2: Tupping time is the mating season for sheep. Uh, It happens on our farm in November, so the sheep come off Ingleborough and they go to tup.
1: And the tup's rattled?
2: The tup's rattled, Yes. Yes. So
1: that's when he has a crayon tied to his belly. It is, is onto right? his chest, yeah. yes.
2: Uh, or it can be, rattle is a, is a mixture of paint and oil. So if you mix this powder with oil, it stays all winter. And the theory being that if he, a sheep comes into season every fortnight. So during the first week, if you put yellow on the tub and he works, tups all the sheep, he leaves a yellow crayon on all the sheep's bums. The second week, you make it, on our farm for instance, we put a green rattle powder on him. And so all the sheep that he's tupped in the second week are green. And then the third week, if any have broken or not held to the tup the first time, if he's got three or four a tupping one day, a tupping is has been in season. We, we've now moved on to blue. So the yellow ones go blue. So, and the theory being that you've only got sheep in the lambing field that are actually due like the yellow ones are due the first week, you know that because that's when they've been tupped. The green ones are due the second week, you know that because the green. And any blue ones are late tupped, as they call them. They're due in the third and fourth week. The only alarm starts to be for young tup, all the yellow ones start going blue. That means he's not spittle. <laughs> spittle is fertile. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that, is... that's rattling. And you've got to catch the tub and put the rattle on and the tub doesn't like to be caught. So hence, most people nowadays use harnesses. So you only have to catch him once a week to take the crane off put a new, new crane in different colour.
0: Anna, the thing I loved about your interview with John Dawson was how you really got him talking and explaining and it seemed to me that he was passionate about educating people about farming and about commoning.
1: A common unlike, well, maybe Wimbledon Common, but a common is an area of land owned by an individual or an organisation, such as Natural England, mm. over which other people or commoners had rights, including the right to graze livestock. And it's, it's a different way of managing the land because it involves a collaborative mm. approach and jobs like the sheep gathering are done collectively. So I'm wondering two things. Firstly, how do you get those commoning rights and secondly, how important is the common land for your farm?
2: You get the common in rights. Historically, there, were, there was not rights. In olden times, you see, people were under less pressure, I think, to have legal ownership on things. So that you could put sheep on Ingleborough in summer, the same number that you could winter on your in by farm, the green fields, in winter. So if you could winter 100 sheep comfortably on your farm, you could put a 100 sheep on Ingleborough in summer during the really good growing season and nobody worried too much about it. It was only when people get a little bit greedy or a bit ambitious, suddenly those 100 become 150. And then at sometime in the 60s, the government introduced the Commons Register and you had to register, if you wanted to carry on commoning, the rights that you thought your farm had, which is what my granddad luckily did. And then, of course, once they are registered, They've become a tradable asset only because there's money to be made, uh, solicitors have to be paid. And some farms are more ambitious, and or some farms retire and think, oh, I've got these rights on Ingleborough. And off they go into the sale, and somebody from somewhere else comes and buys these rights and starts commoning. So that's how commoning rights are. But now they are, I'm very pleased to say that commoning rights one right equals one yo, one you, plus its follower, its lamb. I'm very pleased to say now that these rights are attached to the farm and are not to be sold separately. So the minute you start managing something like Commons rights, you can never stop managing it. So they've had to adjust it now, mate. You can't, you can't sell your rights because they were getting sold, because there's money to be made, isn't there? And what was the other question? The I've other forgot. question was <laughs> how
1: important the Common land is for your farm?
2: Yeah, it is, it is quite important to Bleakbank Bank is, is Inglebury. It means we've got more room in summer just to do what we do. Uh, We we farm an upland flock, a Dalesbred flock. You'll be more familiar with Swaledales. Swaledales are all right, but the Dalesbred is ever so slightly superior in every way. (laughs) (laughs) That's just in case you're talking to somebody that keeps Swaledales. So they're an upland breed. They live very, very well on Ingleborough. They produce a lamb every year. And you can produce that lamb without feed or fertilizer or Very, very little inputs, just a bit of management at lambing time, maybe a worm drench, but that lamb is, all it's done is grow up with its mother's milk and grazing Ingleborough and grazing a bit of bleak bank. And that's a really good uh, way of producing food. And it's also enhancing, I would argue that it's enhancing the environment because it brings the environment to life. We were at the curlew meeting the other night and it became clear that curlews don't like dead grass they need that living environment that's what sheep do in a moderate level there's there's nobody more against overgrazing fields or or commons than myself i've been active on that for many years live within your means so our sheep go on to inglebury in summer they come into bleak bank in winter and it it just gives us a bit more room bleak bank would be half the farm without the the ability to graze ingleborough
1: quite literally
2: quite
0: literally once you've got John Dawson onto educating, he is aware. What a great interviewee he was! And didn't you ask him about um, an identifying mark? Do you remember that question?
1: I asked him how he identified his own sheep. What's your mark for your sheep?
2: Our our mark is a red ass. It's <laughs> what they call an ass wipe. Okay. <laughs> red, yeah, and, and ed hornburn. ed on the hornbone, which is my great granddad. And it's a sobering thought really, I, I, when we're horn-burning sheep, we still use the horn-burn that my great granddad used. And if he came back on a gathering day, he'd say, oh, you're gathering, are you? He'd know, he'd see you right away. He might not recognise some of the bad language or the quad bike, which we use occasionally, but mostly it's on foot. And, you know, that's part of the cultural heritage, isn't it? That the sheep, the shepherds, you know, I never consider myself as owner of Bleak Bank. I think Barclays would agree with me. I think they own more than I do sometimes. <laughs> I see myself as custodian of Bleak Bank and Ingleborough, doing my bit. I never think this could be worth this or that or t'other. I just think, well, what's best? What's best now for this farm or for that? And I need to get that across to the public, that Mm. like them, we all want
0: what's best. Anna, one of the things that you were interested in and that you asked many of your interviewees was how things had changed over time. Why did you put that question in?
1: that's a really important question when you're doing oral histories is to talk about the change because we're talking about someone's lifetime memories and their their memories it's not a textbook memory it's not written down it's what mattered to them and what they see and their perception of it so to see something's changed is to look at how it was and how it is and and even how it might be so it's it's really interesting to ask everybody about their perception of change
2: the work is hard, but the, the satisfaction is... I think it's as it ever was. I think it's still enormously satisfying to do what you want to do. And I, and I, I still think that's the case now as it was then. You know, we, we've got a little family farm and we're able to... What a great place to bring your family up. We've, we've loved it. Um, as I'm sure our parents did, really. You've just got to get in your head that you're never going to get all the work done. And I think that's true of the many generations. Yeah, farms are much bigger... More noisy, more smelly, more animals. You know, on this little road, this is a four-mile stretch between Ingleton and Clapham, there was ten family farms, or ten of them all milking a few cows, all involved in the community, whether that's the shop, the pub, the church, the village. And now there are just four farms left. And there's only us selling milk now. And that's likely to come to an end in, in the next generation. So it constantly changes and evolves, and I think it always has you know the reason we don't go bankrupt is because the government helps a little bit every year with the single farm payment that's going and that little bit of money they give us is the profit for the year and it means we can farm as we do it means that we can just take the one cut silage let the grass mature keep the hay meadows as they are and if william wants to farm he's going to have to look at that and say right that little bit of money's going and all the government tell us is you need to replace that income well the obvious thing to do is to keep another 30 cows And and produce more milk or produce more sheep and it's we come back to the point that they must listen
0: they must hear us we must be heard he's very articulate John Dawson I mean he was a star on television just a few years ago and um, he gave you an analogy which I just thought we had to hear uh, where he says everything is fine as long as you walk hand in hand
1: this next question is is free range in your imagination.
2: Oh, no, we'll never get finished.
1: <laughs> Exploring all ideas, nothing's excluded. Mm. If you could create any future landscape for yourself and your family here, <laughs> what would it be like?
2: Right, any future landscape for me would be to lower inputs. It would lower uh, fertiliser, it would lower animal numbers, it would lower crop sprays, it would bring smaller units together, instead of having three or four farms, have one or two family farms, and it would produce things to a really high standard, uh, but on a much more relaxed scale. Instead of taking three cuts of silage and keeping 500 cows, keep 100 cows, take one cut of silage, silly things like let the curlew get off the ground, don't go for 12,000 litres per cow, settle for eight, let your cow live longer. Maybe produce the same amount of milk over a longer scale. Enjoy what we have and value what we have as well. So just throttle back a bit, really. Don't, don't keep chasing production all the time. I was once told a tale about farming on a, on a scale like we do, a very small scale, is like a young man walking hand-in-hand hand with a young lady. and The young lady is Mother Nature, and you're walking hand-in-hand along. And everything is fine as long as you walk hand in hand. It's only when the young man interferes with the young lady that somebody gets a slap. (laughs) And I think that's true of Mother Nature. Just hold her hand, let her into your farm. Don't don't be too concerned about ploughing everything and, and producing more all the time. Sometimes
0: less is more. John Dawson, farmer at Bleak Bank on Ingleborough. And that was the first episode of Our Ingleborough, Voices from the Dales We'll be picking up again with Anna Greenwood for the next episode which is all about Ribblesdale an artist and a quarryman